My name's Peter. Please join with me as we read from God's Word. If you're using one of the uh, church Bibles, it's on page 880. We're reading John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was him. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Being good Sunday. Good Sunday? Even better than Friday, at least. Uh, it's Sunday. The risen Jesus. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Um, it's also a special day for a number of different reasons. I believe it's Emily's 18th birthday today. Happy birthday to Emily. You. I've been told since you turned 18 that there's actually a new car waiting for you in the, in the car park. For you after church, you go, how bad would it be to have your birthday on April Fool's Day? I mean, April 1st. You'd be pranked all the time, wouldn't you? Um, so there mightn't be any new car out there, sorry. Uh, but it is exciting. It is exciting for us to be together as a church family. It is to get exciting to be together to remember our Lord Jesus is truly risen and what that means. We're going to have a look at uh, a bit of that story of what the people were thinking when they first discovered that uh, in a few moments. But how about we pray first and come before him? 
Lord, we thank you that uh, we have this opportunity to celebrate Easter for the chocolate, for the friends, for the day off. Lord, we thank you for the way you bless us through that, particularly the way you bless us through Jesus being risen from the grave, that we don't follow a dead king, a dead God, but he's truly alive. Lord, help us today to draw near to you, for you to show us what that means, that we truly can have confidence in the risen king. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to introduce you to a man called Constantine Rilou. Oh, here he is, sorry. Constantine Rilou. He got a big shock the other day as he was leaving the, the courtroom. So he's 63 uh, years old, he's from Romania. Uh, had his day in court and he walked out with the news that the court didn't believe his story, that he was alive. That's right, he walked out of the courtroom pronounced dead and he couldn't persuade them otherwise. How did this happen that he could walk around doing TV interviews and be called dead. Well, what happened was some time ago, he went to another country to find work and he was gone for so long that his wife said, look, we haven't seen or heard from him for a long time. So she actually went to the, the court and said, look, I think he's dead. We've got no reason to think he's alive. So she got a death certificate made up. Uh, then when it came time for him to renew his visa, uh, they said, sorry, you can't renew your visa because technically three years ago you had died. Uh, so he, got, he had to appeal, he had to go back to Romania to, to stand this. Now, I was thinking through this, the frustration, frustrating thing that it would be, because there's lots of implications for whether you're dead or alive. Well, in his situation, well, he's still walking and breathing, but he's legally dead. Uh, he can't renew his visa, so he can't go back to his old job in his other country. Um, and he can't do things like that. He doesn't have voting rights in his country because he's legally dead. But I was thinking there's other implications. You know, if you were legally dead, you could take some advantage of that. You wouldn't have to pay tax anymore. Who's going to chase the no tax number? You could actually do some things that might be a bit against the law. You go speeding down the highway. Who are they going to charge? Not as if they're going to arrest and put in jail a dead man. Uh, if his wife, who doesn't appear to love him that much, happened to disappear... Who are they going to find for that? They're not as if they're going to find the dead man and he did it. There's implications for all these things, whether he's dead or he's alive. Uh, you've got to think through these things. It's the same way with Jesus. Whether Jesus is dead or alive, we can look at it at the surface, you know, on the surface, is he breathing, is he not breathing? But there's implications for that. It changes things, changes lots of things. It changes things for us. If Jesus is dead, you know, he's a good historical figure in society. He may be a good teacher, had an impact on a lot of people, started up a religion, might, some people might say, but he's dead. But if he's risen from the grave, that changes things. He's not just a man. He's somebody we need to stand up and take notice of. What is it with him? Could he be truly God? Or even I'll go one step further and say, what if Jesus was ascended? that he went up without dying, he went up in to be with his Father in heaven. How does that change things? They're all significant things and they all have big implications for us 2,000 years later, for us now. We're going to dig a bit deeper on what those are and there's no better example of finding out uh, the changes that happens because of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension than the story of Mary, Mary Magdalene. 
Mary Magdalene, uh, so not Mary, mother of Jesus. Mary was somebody who uh, come along on Jesus' journey and was following him. Um, she had come up, we, we get to the story, uh, with her in the garden finding the empty tomb. Now, she had seen Jesus' death, at least heard about his burial. She was there. She knew all the people involved. Uh, and then it was the third day. It was the Sunday before the sun had come up that she'd come to visit the tomb. And you've got to think, what was she expecting to find? She was expecting to find a body there that she could mourn. And you can imagine the shock on her face when somebody's tampered with the body. You know, she goes there. The tomb's open. There's nobody there. Now, humanity's had this thing about uh, paying respects to the, the bodies of the deceased. We've always done it, and different cultures always do it. Uh, I remember as a kid, one of our family pastimes was going to old cemeteries and seeing who can find the oldest cemetery, the oldest headstone that's there. And you'd read the stories and try and imagine yourself back 100 or 100 and so many years ago of what that might have been like. And I remember one day getting into trouble, you know, Ross, you can't stand there. I'm like, what do you mean? So I'd gone to have a closer look at the headstone and they said, you're standing on the body. I'm like, they were dead over 100 years ago. I'm pretty sure they can't feel it now. But it's that respect thing, isn't it? You can't stand there. There's a body there. So when Mary goes to mourn and grieve the body of Jesus and somebody's taken it, like that's, who does that? Who does that sort of stuff? And she's really upset. And she's trying to work out what to do. So she goes back, runs back to the disciples. <clears throat> uh, and she tells them, not just the body's missing, but she's gone through, she's digested what's happened, and there's only one conclusion you can come to. She comes running and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. This is the conclusion. The body is stolen. I've seen the evidence. I know somebody must have taken him. Now, Peter and John, John's not named personally, but John wrote uh, this letter, uh, the, the account, this gospel of Jesus, uh, and John refers to himself in some funny ways. Uh, but it's Peter and John who run to the tomb to investigate, and they don't seem to be much help, because they, they go and Peter looks in, um, and he sees uh, there's nobody there, the, the tomb's empty. But then he sees the bandages uh, in two different piles, because when they, uh, they didn't put... Uh, the bodies in coffins back then, they bandaged them up. But there's one pile of bandages from his body on one side of where they lay him, and the linen from his head uh, where that was bound, that's neatly folded up as well on the other side. Uh, and he goes in to check this out. But when he's having a look at this, he, he sees he's trying to work out what's going on here. You know, if somebody had really come in to steal the body, why would you steal a three-day-old body and take the linen off? You know, by now it's starting to smell, starting to decompose. Why would you take the linen off? And why would you take the linen off, and if you're stealing the body, if you really didn't want the linen to leave it there, you'd want to make a quick escape. So why would you bother folding the linen up and putting it back on the rock before taking the body? It's all these questions. The other question is, uh, for a young man, a single man, to actually leave, this, this is the bigger miracle, if Jesus unwrapped his bandages himself and left, uh, the miracle would be, why would a single man actually fold up his clothes before he left? Because that never happens either. Ask any mum. 
It never happens. Why would Jesus fold up his clothes? There's all these questions. What's going on? So Peter's puzzled. John himself, uh, he just says uh, he, he believed, um, even though they didn't understand. What he actually believed, we're not sure, because uh, if he did, really did believe Jesus had risen from the dead, he kept it as a good secret. He didn't tell Mary. He didn't go back and tell the disciples. It might have been just he believed Mary's story that, yep, the body's missing. Yep, she's right. Uh, so what do they do with that? They're no help at all. They just go back. The disciples went back to where they were staying. No big hoo-ha. It's just like, we don't know what's going on. It doesn't leave much, uh, many answers for Mary because we're told she's still at the graveyard. She's still there uh, crying. It's high emotion now. The disciples don't have answers. She doesn't have answers. The body's still not there. She's there to grieve. Four times in the next five verses, we're told that Mary's crying. She's in tears. She can't work this out because she's there uh, and she doesn't know what to make of it. See, for us, we could say she should know what's going on. She should know, you know what was said in the prophecies in the Old Testament, the, something like what J.S. read out earlier, that no grave is going to hold God's chosen one down. Or even uh, the Jesus teaching himself. He's told his disciples over and over again, I will be arrested, I will be killed, I will be buried, but I'll rise again on the third day. Like, surely she knew that. But you've got to think how Mary, what she'd gone through in her life and how she'd experienced this. Because no matter how highly you think of someone, the fact of someone or the thought of someone rising from the grave is ridiculous. Because Mary had a high view of Jesus. See, her story was, and if you go back to Luke chapter 8, it mentions her bit of background, that she was possessed by demons. And we know in that time, by other descriptions of how they uh, describe people who are possessed, they're not in control of themselves anymore. They're irrational. They just do things that just not themselves. So some people are very violent. They chains can't even hold them down. They're very violent. Some of them go in and have fits on the ground because they're not in control anymore. They're just not uh, sociable anymore. So they're antisocial. So what would happen in those days if somebody was like that? I mean, if somebody was so out of control for us today that even their family and friends couldn't handle, would probably put them in some sort of institution. But back then, they would push them away into the mountains. The demon-possessed people were all in the caves, in the mountains. Now, she didn't have just one demon. We're told she had seven demons. She was a real outcast of society. Her friends, her family would have had to push away for their own sake, that she would be so out of control that the demons would, would take over her life. So when Jesus came along and, for, and, and uh, healed her of the demons, cast out the demons, you can imagine what that would have been like for her. See, at one moment, she's an outcast. She's pushed away from her friends, her family. She's not allowed to go near them, not allowed to see them. Not only the personal rejection of that, it's what comes with that. You're not valued as a person anymore. You're not valued as a friend. You've lost your identity. Nobody wants to be with you. But then when Jesus casts out the demons, all of a sudden, she is accepted. She is able to talks about her following the disciples around. She is loved. She is valued now. She has um, her identity back 
because of what Jesus has done in her healing. So she knows who Jesus is, that he can heal, that he does turn people's lives around, that he is a man of God. It's not a matter of if this man is good enough, he'll rise from the dead, because she knows he's, he's her hero. He's king. He's from God. If it was based on having a high view of somebody, she would have every confidence that he's got risen from the grave. But you've also got to think, if you're in her situation, uh, have you ever seen somebody raised from the dead? Historically, do you know anybody who's risen from the dead? Yeah. Like it's... That, don't bust the punchline. We know there's somebody risen from the dead. But for her, she's like, this is amazing. But the body's... How could it be risen? It just doesn't happen. There's zero chance of that person walking out of the tomb. Zero chance of them beating death and escaping. It just doesn't happen. The disciples have come and looked. Peter and John have come and looked. They're no help. So now she's uh, there, still at the graveyard, grieving. She even sees two demons. She looks into the tomb. She sees two demons and they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? It's like, we're angels. Sorry, did I say demons? I meant angels. There's a bit of difference there, isn't there? There's two angels sitting. They should have amazed her. But these are, they're from God. Surely just by seeing them, they're going, oh, yeah, God's in control. Everything's all right. But no. She says, they have, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. See, she's still after Jesus. What sort of Jesus is she after? The dead body of Jesus. Where is it? I'm here to mourn him, to grieve him. As soon as she says that to the angels, someone behind her uh, says, she thinks it's a gardener, woman, why are you crying? And then he asks a second question, an even bigger question, who is it you're looking for? She turns and says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Say, who is it you're looking for? She says, I'm looking for the dead Jesus. Looking for Jesus. I'm expecting to find a dead Jesus, the body. That's the best she can hope for. She wants to grieve and mourn and say her farewells to him, but the best she's hoping for is a dead body. But then uh, it gets better for her because she's looking for the dead Jesus and she finds the risen Jesus. Because then she hears uh, from the gardener when he says, Mary. Says Mary. Now, there's something really interesting going on here. We can read it very quickly in the English. Uh, but it's actually when he says this, uh, so far she's been referred to as woman, and we would go, oh, that's a bit impolite. But actually, in the day, it's, it's, the, it's a formal way of greeting someone, like madam. Um, so it's not offensive to her that she would be called woman, but it's a very formal way of being called woman. As John tells the story in the Gospel of John, it's written in Greek, the original language, uh, Mary is seen in the garden, verse 1, she's seen the, uh, there, she's referred to as Mary in the Greek, which is normal, trying to do. But this Mary, uh, all of a sudden, it's no longer woman, but Mary. It all of a sudden becomes very personal. For another reason, I'll tell you in a moment, 
that she turns around, she sees it's Jesus, and she says, Rabbani, which in Aramaic means teacher. Now, why is this Aramaic so important? Why would John even mention that? Now, Greek is the, the language of the day, but Greek is kind of, you know, it's the official language of the day. Aramaic is what the Hebrews used to use, and it, they kind of used to refer to each other in more of an affectionate way, a friendly way. You know, I'm not going to be too official and call you by sir, but in your Aramaic name, it's Rabbani, teacher. And what Jesus did when he called Mary, he was actually speaking in Aramaic as well. But we sort of miss that in the English. So all of a sudden we get this connection. It's woman, a formal conversation. What are you crying for? Who are you looking for? Now it's Mary. He knows me. He knows me by name. Rabbani, teacher, she replies. Instantly, just by those two words, we get this connection that all of a sudden they know each other. It's become personal, really personal. And as she does this, she reaches towards him and clings to him. Now, whether she's embracing him or falls at his feet and clings to his feet or just grabs his arm, we're not given that detail. It doesn't really matter. But she's clinging on to him uh, as she does that. And what, what is she thinking at that point? You can imagine. She thought she'd lost him. He was gone. He was taken from her life. And remember, before Jesus had come into her life, she was rejected from society. She was an outcast. She was not valued. She was pushed away. But then Jesus came into her life and everything was better. She was accepted. She was loved. But now Jesus had gone again through his death. You can imagine the grief she was going through, that he's gone. But now he's back. He's back and he's live and he's risen from the grave. I'm going to cling to him. And you can feel that clinging to him. I'm not going to let you go again because I don't want to go back near that. I've been rejected before. I don't want to be lost and pushed away again. See, for Mary, she had been uh, the outcast, unloved, unvalued and pushed away. She says, I'm going to cling to you because when I'm with you, I know everything's okay. And with the risen Jesus, everything is okay. My life is okay, she's saying, if you're here. And she's going to cling to that. Now, there's a few things going on that uh, we need to think about. If the Jesus had truly risen, I think of three quick implications. One is that Jesus is awesome and powerful. So death is big. None of us can defeat death. But Jesus did. He'd risen from the grave. He's more powerful than death, meaning that he could truly be God. Secondly, uh, Jesus had taught that by going to the cross, he was dealing with our sin. So when he was uh, alive, he lived the perfect life, he lived the righteous life, but when he went to the cross, he died as an innocent man. But he was saying, I was dying as an innocent man, but I was really taking our unrighteousness, our sin to the cross, so that we can have his righteousness. He was doing this swap through that. Now, if Jesus had just died and stayed in the tomb, how would we ever know if it was a success or not? Am I really forgiven? Am I really declared righteous by God? We don't know. Unless Jesus has risen from the grave and God the Father puts his stamp of approval on it, going, yes, he's accepted. Yes, this is real. Yes, you are forgiven. That's the good news. He deals with our sin through his death and resurrection. But there's a third one. If Jesus had risen... 
It does mean that Jesus has defeated death and defeated all our enemies, in a sense, in this world, all our spiritual enemies, that we've got nothing to fear. So if Jesus is still alive, life is good. For somebody like Mary, life is good. I've got nothing to fear if I'm with Jesus. Death's not going to harm me. Demons aren't going to harm me. Jesus, my provider, my king, my hero is with me. Everything's all good. Now, sometimes we even uh, slip into that as well. That we follow the, the, the risen Jesus. That because Jesus is risen, he is king, and I know everything's going to be okay. I know everything's going to be all right. I no longer have to fear death. He's going to provide for me all my needs here. But in fact, just because Jesus physically is with her, the way we might treat Jesus now, that we cling to him like she clings to him, that we cling to the cross like an idol, a good luck charm, Jesus is going to burst her bubble because he's not going to stay with her, is he? He's not going to stay. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And we're not told if Jesus actually returned the embrace or returned any affection to her when she clung to him. In fact, he's going to say something very hurtful to her. Don't hold on to me, because I haven't yet gone to the Father. I haven't ascended. I haven't gone up to the Father yet. Now, you can imagine for her, this is, this is bad news. With Jesus, my life is good. Without Jesus, you'd have to be anxious that life's going to go back into the old ways. I've been rejected before. I've been pushed away before. I've been alone before. Now Jesus is going to do it to me too. He's going to leave me alone and rejected as well. But Jesus says, if you're thinking like that, if you think, I need Jesus to make this world better, I need Jesus to make my life better, it's all about me and getting the most out of this world, he says, you've got the wrong idea of Jesus. In fact, you've got the wrong idea of life. See, we're constrained by this worldview that we live in, that this is all there is, the here and now. But what he goes on to say, he's going to blow that away in something bigger and amazing way he says he says do not hold on to me for i have not ascended to the father go instead to my brothers it's talking about the disciples and tell them i am ascending to the father and your father to my god and your god you got to ask why does he say it that way he could have just said i'm ascending to my father and my god yeah i'm only here for a little while and I'm physically going to be with him in heaven. But he says, no, no, it's my father and your father. My God and your God. So about what's happened now is, is if we think in this world terms, Jesus is leaving this earth. But he's saying, no, there's much more to it. See, what he's done on the cross is he's gone He's come, he's sent from the Father to rescue us, rescue the sinners, rescue those who are far from God. And through his death on the cross and dealing with our sin, we are now included in the family. He is now our Father because of the cross. Um, Jesus could talk about um, children beforehand, children of God beforehand, but now it's real, it's spiritual that we are a part of the family because of the cross, because he died and because he rose and now he can say, I'm going to be with the Father, but it's your Father too. You're not going to be rejected. You're not going to be alone. You're going to be with my God and your God too. 
In fact, what this world does is say, it's all about the here and now, and let's get, get the most out of the here and now. He said, no, it's going to be much better in heaven. You're going to a place, I'm leaving you for a little while, but you're going to be a place with me where we'll be together for eternity, but not just as friends, but have this real relationship, a real connection and intimacy with God for all of eternity in heaven. Because of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension, that he's done that. This is so much better, so much better than Mary could have ever dreamed. Jesus is going to leave her for a little while, but he's got this amazing place, amazing place for her because of his ascension. Now, through Jesus doing that, it is the good news story. He is risen, he's defeated death. But even better, he's got a place prepared for us. It's going to be so much better. But I'm going to ask you this morning, when we think of the risen Jesus, who are you expecting to find on this Easter Sunday? Who are you looking for? Is it the dead Jesus? You know, you're still a bit of a sceptic or still working out who is this Jesus? Was he just a historical figure? Was he somebody who started up some sort of cult? But he's dead. Is he the dead Jesus? I encourage you to keep looking, keep looking at the evidence. And like Jesus revealed himself to Mary, I'm sure Jesus will reveal himself to you too. Or are we looking to see the risen Jesus? The risen Jesus who's going to make my life better because he's strong and powerful and he's going to bless me and give me everything I want. Kind of like Mary would have been thinking for that short time. Don't, don't stop there. Jesus is much bigger than that, much more significant. That he's the ascended Jesus. That's got a place for us that is much better than this world. A place where we are accepted, are loved, are forgiven. We are a part of the family. When we come to Jesus and trust him, we have all that. We have all that now, but we have the full blessing of it when we get to him in eternity. That's the Jesus we should be looking for. And that's the Jesus we find on Easter Sunday. And that's good news. And it's no April Fool joke. I had to put that in there, sorry. It's no April Fool joke. It's good news that we have the risen Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he lived the perfect life. He loved and forgave and sacrificed himself for others. Lord, when we think of Mary and her life, Lord, we realise for us in so many ways we, we do relate to her. We don't like being rejected. We don't like being sent away and left alone. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus, that through Jesus and what you've done, you've reached out to us, that you loved us, loved us so much that you would die for us, that you would not only uh, prove that love by being risen from the dead, but ascended to heaven, where you call us, you invite us to be with you when we trust in you. Well, thank you for that amazing love, for the miracle but for reaching out to us and including us in your family. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.